Hello and welcome to the Meningitis Foundation New Zealand podcast. We aim to provide you with easy to understand information about meningitis and septicemia and the diseases that cause them, mainly pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. Today, I'm speaking with Louise Duncan. Louise is a hairdresser in Levin and an equestrian rider. Louise had her riding career halted at 17 years of age by a number of strokes that were caused by meningococcal meningitis, and she spent a year in hospital learning to walk again. Two years after her diagnosis, Louise decided that she wanted to ride her horses again, and not only did she achieve her aim of captaining the under-21 Manawatu West Coast team in the 2007 New Zealand PCA Dressage Championships, she also went on to represent New Zealand at the Paralympics. Louise and Frankie, thank you so much for joining me today to share your stories. Louise, first up, can you tell me a little bit about the 16-year-old Louise Duncan? where you lived, what type of teenager you were, the types of activities you enjoyed, how you were getting on at school, that type of thing. I lived in Levin on a farm with my mum and dad with a menagerie of animals, cats, dogs, goats, cows, sheep and horses. Being an only child, my family is very close and growing up we were always off to horse shows for the weekend or having a lovely holiday at the Horse of the Year show or dressage nationals together as a family. Uh, Mum and dad both work in the equestrian industry, so I have grown up with love for all things horsey. Mum and I would take horses for schooling, give lessons, um, help at the local pony club. After school, I spent all my time out riding or in the stables with the horses, brushing them, cleaning gear. I was attending Horofanua College, and originally I was interested in becoming a lawyer, but had a passion for hair and makeup since I was little and found I really enjoyed being able to express myself with makeup and hair. Um, So I started on a gateway program through the college where I would go to a local salon for work experience for one hour a day to see if it was really something I wanted to pursue. And I enjoyed it so much that it turned into an after-school job. And I enjoyed being at school with my friends and just doing what 16-year-old girls generally like to do, I think. That's brilliant. It sounds like an idyllic life. So I understand that you were 17 when you were diagnosed with meningitis. Do you remember much about that time? Can you tell me how things played out, the types of feelings that you had or the symptoms that you displayed? Uh, So I remember the night before, I had a friend who came over to study and had dinner. Uh, The whole afternoon, I complained of having a sore or stiff shoulder on one side. I took some Panadol and just presumed it was a strain from something I had done at school earlier in the day. I woke up at about 1am feeling very thirsty and all I wanted was water. I walked down to the kitchen, filled a glass with tap water, which I remember thinking was very strange because one, I didn't drink water, I absolutely hated it. And two, I hated tap water even more, but I just felt I needed water. So I filled up the biggest glass I could find and sculled back two, three glasses of water. After it, I did feel much better, so I went back to bed. About an hour and a half later, I woke up and just started feeling ill. Uh, I walked into mum and dad's bedroom and said to mum, I think I'm going to be sick. Um, And with that, I just started being really sick and vomiting. I had a shower and I was sick in the shower. Uh, Mum said I should stay home, so I went back to bed. The news on the radio came through saying a lot of schools in the Wellington area were closed with a vomiting flu bag. 
and students were advised to stay home if they were feeling ill. Mum thought it must have been just the flu bag, so I rang the school. I stayed home. My temperature wasn't overly high, and I felt a little sick. Uh, so mum did check for a rash, but because there had been media coverage on meningitis outbreaks. Uh, lay in the sunniest room in the house, had no eye pain or headaches. I drank a lot, but didn't know that was really a symptom. Mum popped in and out during the day to check on me, um, and it wasn't until 5pm when mum came in from outside to check on me that she noticed I'd developed a strange rash over my body, including the bottoms of my hands and feet. And we had a friend who called in to see mum that afternoon who came down to see me and walked in the door and said, wow, you look terrible. So mum rang the doctors and it kind of went from there. Gosh. So did you ever question how or where you might have picked it up? I have thought about it, but to be honest, it's happened and I can't change it. It's made me who I am. uh, So I don't tend to focus or think about it. Yep. It could have been a number of things. At school, we shared drink bottles, lip glosses. I decided to try my first cigarette a few days before, and I shared that with someone who had a sore throat at the time, and I was due to go into hospital the following week um, that I contracted meningitis to have impacted wisdom teeth removed. So there was a lot of things that I could have got it from, really. Yeah, Yeah. and as you said, it's not something that you want to dwell on. You focus on the future. Exactly. So had at that stage, had you ever heard about meningitis or meningococcal? Did you know anything about it? Um, we had heard about it. Um, we'd been told about it at school. And I always think of those sort of things just won't happen to you. So I never really took that much notice. And everyone shared drink bottles at school. It was not really anything anyone ever worried about. We all, all the girls shared our lip glosses yeah. and that sort of thing. So when you had your friend call in and, and realise how sick you were, obviously that kicked off a chain of events of getting you to either a GP or to A&E. Can you talk me through what happened? I might give that to mum. <laughs> she just sort of, I don't really remember an awful lot about that. Um, so when I came in and saw Louise had this really unusual rash, um, I rang a local GP and it was about five to five at night. So the doctor who answered said, um, I'm not on duty for five minutes, so you'll have to ring back. And I said to him, I was concerned because I thought of meningitis being the rash of the fact she was 17. So he said to me, well, if it's meningitis, she'll need a lump of puncture and I don't do that here anyway, so you'll have to go to hospital. So um, my husband and I decided hospital was the way to go, which is about an hour from where we live. Um, and so when we got there, we told them we were concerned because of Louise's rash, uh, but she actually at that stage had no other symptoms. So we just sat in A&E for about an hour, and finally uh, Louise decided she was really thirsty, and so she and I went for a walk to find a, a drink machine and suddenly found she couldn't walk any longer. So I got her a wheelchair, and we went back to A&E. By that stage, it was about 7 or 8 o'clock at night, and... Um, so after about 15 minutes uh, of explaining she was now in a wheelchair and could have walked, uh, they took us through to the actual A&E um, beds out the back. Um, and uh, they just kept an eye on her, gave her Panadol. She was starting to develop a bit of a headache. Uh, a couple of doctors came and said maybe a lumbar puncture might be um, worth trying, but they really weren't sure. 
Louise was very anti the lumbar puncture suggestion. So there was a, a young Scottish doctor there and a nurse whose husband had dealt with meningitis overseas. And they said to my husband and I, they had a bad gut feeling. So they did a deal with Louise and said if she stayed the night, they promised they wouldn't do a lumbar puncture. And so about 1am, we got in the car and headed for home. Um, and Louise can take over from what happened then. So they then turned up, um, a doctor turned up and said to me, you are having a lumbar puncture. And I said to them, no, I'd come to an agreement that I didn't need it um, because I was staying the night and I was fine. And so he said I had to sign a form to say that I had wouldn't have it. And I said to him, well, look, do you recommend that I have it? He said, if it was me, I would, but it's your call. So I agreed to it uh, on the condition that there was another doctor present that could talk me through the process. Mm -hmm. So they did the lumbar puncture and explained that I may get a bad headache or migraine from it. And they left me. Um, After about 10 minutes or so, I started to develop this really bad headache. So I rang the bell and the doctor came over and gave me Panadol. And that did nothing at all to help with the headache. It just got worse. So I rang the bell again and he came over and gave me another drug that he said was slightly stronger. And then it felt like my brain was just going to explode. My whole head was, it was the most terrible pain. So I can remember getting, trying to climb off the bed because I'd rang the bell again and no one came. So I got off the bed and started to walk to find the doctor. And it was like I was drunk or everything was swimming. The whole room was moving. And I found the doctor with another patient and I said to him, I need something for my head. And he said, look, go back and lie down and I'll be over shortly. We've given you everything that we really can at this stage, but it should start to subside soon. So I can remember turning around and walking back towards my bed. And again, everything was swimming. So I can remember clinging to things to try and support myself. And I can hear a nurse behind me yelling, don't you dare. And then I just saw the floor coming up to meet me. And that's the last thing I really remember. Oh, goodness. So was that one of the strokes? Fainted. Um, So that was, I think I'd gone into a coma. I don't really know. (laughs) So how long were you in hospital? So initially Louise was in hospital for six months and then she had ongoing treatment as an outpatient for a further two or three years and was on medication for seven years. Um, but she spent six months in hospital and then six months in rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And of that time that she was in hospital, how long was she in a coma for? She was in a coma for 10 days because they tried to uh, get her out of the coma after about five days, but every time they went to reduce the phenobarbitone, she started to seizure. So... Um, on the 10th day, they said to my husband and I uh, that they may have to cut a trackie. At that stage, she was um, bleeding uh, with a machine. And apparently, you can only do that for a certain length of time. Uh, so they said to us about cutting a trackie and perhaps investigating um, a home that she could go to in the Hawke's Bay, um, which we weren't too keen on because that's a four-hour drive from here. Um but one nurse had just come back from a course uh, regarding using animals and she said that some people recover if they have an animal um, that they know. So the next day I had to bring our Doberman in to see Louise 
which was a challenge in itself because he was as heavy as I am. Um, and we got Louise's hand. She was still in a coma at that stage in ICU and this big Doberman sitting in the middle of ICU, um, barking at the doctors, which she didn't like. Um, and she put her hand on his head and within about 40 minutes, she just started to move her fingers a little bit. Oh, wow. And she started to go up and up from there. She became conscious again within 12 hours of the dog being there. That's wonderful. So how long did it take before she was able to to at least start coming around and, and thinking about getting up and trying to walk? Uh, probably about five or six days. Um, they had to put calipers on her because she was doing what they call posing, pulling her feet up and pulling her hands up into a pose. So um, she didn't actually walk for about oh, a month. I guess, um, and that was aided because the ladies at rehab were amazing. And uh, so she had a wheelchair and she had an, another young girl in there that had lost her legs and they used to have wheelchair waxes up and down the hall. That's beautiful. And how long before you were able to, to walk unaided? I still, like really about a year, I suppose. I still have issues with that so I fall occasionally and things like that so I do get aided some of the time now especially being out in the paddocks or at horse shows where the ground's uneven I tend to struggle with my balance with that at times. Mm -hmm. And do you have any other side effects or long-term effects after the disease? A lot of people talk about ongoing headaches and migraines and coordination problems. Are you experiencing any of those? I still have um, issues. Like I was very lucky um, and I had no hearing issues, um, but I do have memory issues. I have trouble following and remembering instructions and I get migraines. Um, like I said, I still have falls and I get muddled with my words, especially when I'm tired and I do get very tired and find concentrating quite difficult. And I do now get anxiety, uh, which I had never really struck before. Um, but when I was in hospital, they did at one stage thought I was having a heart attack because so I was getting these terrible chest pains, which they then discovered was an anxiety attack. And my right side from my strokes is considerably weaker than my left. So my dexterity and things are not great. And when I'm a bit tired or um, busy, it, it definitely is more noticeable. And how are you managing on a day-to-day basis with all of those things? Is that about just taking the time out to look after yourself or are you on ongoing medication? It, it's really just being very wary of what has happened to me and accepting that. I'm very lucky. Um, the clients that I have with my hairdressing business are very good and very understanding and I have wonderful support from at home and with friends and that sort of thing. It makes such a big difference. I am on an antibiotic that I have to take um, from when I was in hospital from the catheter, um, which is to stop me getting infections and things like that because I'm very prone to that. And then how long before you decided to get back up onto the horse? Um, Probably about a year later. I decided to get back on my young horse. I had a young one at the time that I was working with before I got sick. Mum didn't think it was a good plan. 
uh, because they had sort of said to me, I'm not allowed to fall off and I had to be very careful. Um, but I got on anyway and fell off straight away. <laughs> so I started riding properly again when mum gave me her horse about two and a half years later and I managed to qualify him for the Horse of the Year show and I rode him at advanced level at the Horse of the Year that's brilliant. Congratulations. And I understand that you've had rather significant success with equestrian. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? My mum is an equestrian sport New Zealand coach and has represented New Zealand riding dressage. And my dad is a farrier, shoes horses, and used to show jump. So in our family, if you don't speak horse, you tend to not fit in so well. I got my first pony when I was almost three and my mum taught me and still coaches me. I also train with two other trainers, John Thompson and Andrea Reyes, and I've been very lucky in that we've always had really lovely horses at home, and I've been brought and given lovely horses from my granddad and my parents. I had to give up jumping, unfortunately, after the meningitis, and so I've just concentrated on dressage since then. And do you think that the, the your love for animals and that interaction with animals has been a key factor in your recovery and, and success? Definitely. Uh, the, the animals, they just, they're amazing and they really help you um, and yourself feel better. And if you're feeling down, they come and give you cuddles. And yeah, no, definitely. I'd be lost without all my animals. Beautiful. Now, I'm interested in just jumping back a little bit and talking about the time that you left hospital. Were you given much information about meningitis or meningococcal disease at the hospital or on discharge? Was there much information to know what to expect? Um, we were really frustrated, to be honest. While Louise was in hospital, we knew very little about meningitis and we asked if we could contact somebody who'd perhaps been through the path we were walking and we were told under the Privacy Act that would not be allowed. So um, that was quite frustrating because it would have been quite comforting to have spoken to somebody who perhaps knew what we were going through at the time. Um, and then when Louise was discharged, uh, I guess by that stage we'd done the Dr. Google thing, so we got reasonably um, okay with a lot of the meningitis stuff, but keeping in mind that it is different for everybody. Um, and as far as stuff from the hospital, not really a lot, uh, but Louise um, had to see psychologists and people like that, so I guess we were able to get information on recovering from strokes and serious illness, but not specifically meningitis. But I remember when we first contracted it, um, about the second day, we had the uh, Ministry of Health sent somebody up to us immediately to make sure we were aware that it wasn't a live vaccine and that that was not what had caused Louise to get meningitis because a lot of the children at her school apparently had, had decided that that's what had given her meningitis, the fact she'd been vaccinated and none of them wanted to go back to the third vaccination. Right. So there was obviously a little bit of um, fear around what was going on at that time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I even had a mother ring me at ICU um, saying that her son had let Louise speak on his phone the day before she got sick. And what did I think she should do with the phone as far as sterilising it and all that sort of thing went. But um, when Louise was diagnosed, which took three days by the time they got a reading from the lumbar puncture, uh, we were all given. Uh, huge antibiotics to take, um, my husband and I and friends and anybody who'd been in contact with Louise. Mm -hmm. 
And knowing what you know now about meningococcal disease and meningitis, what other words of advice would you, or what words of advice would you give to 17-year-olds and, and their parents as well? Not just 17-year-olds, but everybody. Don't share anything where germs, germs could be passed on. Don't try lipsticks or lip glosses at chemists, department stores. Don't share drinks, eating utensils, and just get vaccinated. Learn to recognize the symptoms. And if anyone you know or you start to see any signs of the symptoms, just get them to hospital straight away. Don't muck around. I don't think I could have said it any better. Frankie, would you like to add anything? Um, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, I, I think become a little bit knowledgeable about the vaccination and understand it. Um, I know it's tricky because there's so many strains of it, um, of, of meningitis, but um, we don't know whether or not Louise survived because she'd had that first vaccination. We like to believe so. So um, I would also like to perhaps see uh, people affected by meningitis able to share their stories like this because it may hopefully be um, comforting to somebody who's going through meningitis or, or who has somebody in the, in the hospital with it. And that's a really important point because every case of meningitis presents quite differently and everyone's symptoms will be different. There is no um, characteristic sign or, or rash in every case. So knowing that those symptoms that's can be... That's what amazed us, the, uh, the fact that, you know, the symptoms that we've read in the, in the book that came home with the vaccination information was... You know, first there's a rash and the eyes become sore and you get a headache. And Louise had absolutely none of that. So we're, what, 13, 14 years on from your diagnosis at the moment? Yeah. And how are you feeling, Louise? How what Has it changed your outlook on life? It definitely has. And it makes me appreciate things a lot more and not sweat the small stuff and just be focused on looking forward and supporting other people with disabilities or issues or illness-related things. Before I got sick, I definitely was, you know, that 17-year-old or 16-year-old girl that would walk down the street and wouldn't take a second glance at anyone, you know, because I was so in my zone of what I was doing with my friends. As for now, you kind of look at it very differently and help no matter where you can. If you see someone struggling on the street or someone's, you know, on Facebook putting that they're having a really down day, just send them a smile and make their day better. Well, I wanted to also just ask you the where to from here. Obviously, you've had a lot of success with your dressage and equestrian events. Louise, what's next? Um, I would really love to represent my country at some stage with my riding. I've been doing para-equestrian for, it's coming up two years and I was really lucky my horses are just so special and they totally understand me and get me. And last year we won the Horse of the Year title uh, and got reserve as well. And this year we did the same thing. We won the Para Grade 4 Horse of the Year title and got reserve. Unfortunately, the horse I rode last year broke his pelvis in a paddock accident last year. So I stole mum's horse this year and took him. And so he was the crowning glory this year and then my other horse Falkenstein BC got the reserve this year so I'm hoping that maybe I will get to go over to Australia to compete and get my scores um, to qualify to take them to Tokyo 
and compete over there for New Zealand as a para-equestrian. Louise probably didn't explain. She's actually um, qualified two scores for the Paralympics and we're heading to Sydney in a couple of weeks to be finally classified. And if that happens, then she only repeats one more score on your horse to qualify for the Olympics so, or Paralympics. So she's a little closer than she led on. Ah, so can you just explain that to me again? How, how does that? How does the point system okay, work? So um, they have to gain certain scores in the dressage test with international judges, and Louise they have to gain three scores. Louise has gained two scores on two horses, and in fact, one of her scores is the highest that's been achieved by a para rider in New Zealand. So um, we have been approached by ESNZ High Performance to go to Australia and get Louise what they call classified internationally. She's been classified in New Zealand as a para-equestrian with her disability. So now it has to be done internationally. So we're going to Sydney uh, the last week of April to have that done. And uh, then they will tell her what level para she is for the Olympics. So then she has to come back and possibly take her horse to Brisbane in August, I think it is July or August, the horse we were to take. Um, is is not well, so we're taking his second seed horse, which is the reserve. And if he gains an international score there, then we're hopefully on the road to Tokyo. That's wonderful. So she's a lot closer than she actually lets on. Congratulations. Mm. Thank you. And Louise and Frankie, thank you so much for joining us on the line today and sharing your story. It's it's always amazing to hear such phenomenal stories of survival, and being able to reflect back on what has happened to you over those years and, and how that shaped your future, it, it's really very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you Thanks very you. much for letting us talk about our experience. Thank you. You're welcome. That was Louise Duncan and Frankie Webb joining us on the phone from Levin. This is part of a series of podcast episodes by the Meningitis Foundation, Aotearoa, New Zealand, to raise awareness of meningitis, septicemia, pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. For more information, please go to our website at www.meningitis.org.nz or our Facebook page. If you just type in the Meningitis Foundation, you should be able to find us. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode. Bye for now.